I, I was going to say, I feel like this is the way our relationship is. <laughs> uh, Aaron, that was a feast. Thank you for serving us so well. Um, thank you. Um, if, if everybody would just briefly introduce themselves and where you're serving, how you're serving, it'd be great. You can start. Hi, everyone. I'm Eugene. I serve as a lead teaching pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Singapore. I'm Anand Samuel. I serve as the senior pastor at Grace Evangelical Church in Sharjah. Aubrey Seguera. I serve as the senior pastor of the Evangelical Community Church of Abu Dhabi. And I'm in Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta. Um, as I was listening to uh, your talk, I thought maybe just give some initial reflections as you brothers were thinking about what he was saying, how the Lord instructed you or encouraged you or convicted you as you were listening to that talk. Good. Uh, wow, there's a, a lot I could take away. Uh, I think I like your point about how comprehensive the, the, the criteria are that, that Paul lists in, in these texts. I think that's convicting to, to think about not just one area of life. Because sometimes when I fight sin, I, I'm focusing on one area of sin. And I, I think I'm okay if that area is okay, but I don't always think about the rest of my life. So it's good to think about how comprehensive these qualifications are and how I need to keep watch on all of my life. And I think that was just a really good reminder to be aware of that. I think if um, your emphasis on, on a pastor's willingness to share his, his struggles, his weaknesses, I think that's very important. And to find someone he can do that with, uh, I think that's uh, something that all of us need to take very seriously. So thank you for that. Yeah, there's just a lot there. Um, I think the specificity, uh, like Eugene was saying, the comprehensiveness, but also the specificity of uh, the pastor's holistic character and example to the flock. And, you know, they see how to live as a Christian by seeing us. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking on that. Aaron, I was, I was just thinking more broadly as you were, were talking, as I was also applying it to my own life, it does seem that often when we're in these kind of settings, we wonderfully get a lot of theological instruction, which we need. But I, I wonder if we often overlook that. We overlook the need for the man in ministry's godliness and character. Have you noticed that? If you have, why do you think that, that it does seem to be often overlooked? Well, um, I, I do think people talk about it uh, in a fair bit. I remember being, at least in seminary, and I, I remember Don Whitney preaching on First Timothy, you know, watch your life and your doctrine. So it, it, it does come up. But I do think that maybe one of the reasons why that perception is, is accurate is because in my generation, um, I have tended to think doctrinal fidelity will take care of... Um, moral failure. It'll crowd it out because the guys who fall in ministry are like prosperity gospel preachers. Now, time proves otherwise, but I do think that's a temptation. Like, I'm good theologically. Theologically, people are godly. I'm godly. And that's just, um, I'm, I'm not a logic guy, but I think that's just not logical. I think sometimes we are so... I mean, and we want to emphasize the sufficiency of Scripture, the power of the Word, uh, what, you know, it's primarily what we preach, 
that God uses as a means of grace to sanctify God's people to the neglect of, I think in our circles, uh, the emphasis on the pastor's life itself is a means of grace to our people, you know. Um, and the Lord uses us as a means for their sanctification. We keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. You will save yourself and your hearers. Uh, we even neglect, I think I was preaching Second Timothy 3 last month, and in the context, Paul is talking about Scripture's own sufficiency. We think of Scripture is sufficient to save, so it's sufficient in our evangelism, it's sufficient for our teaching. But in the context, Paul is talking to Timothy and saying the Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And there he's speaking of Scripture's sufficiency for the pastor's own soul and to prepare the pastor for his work there. Um, you would be prepared for every good work. The other place Paul uses that phrase, 2 Timothy 2.21, is talking about being cleansed from what is dishonorable so that you will be a vessel set apart as holy for every good work. Mm. Um, I think 2 Corinthians, you know, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and sometimes we stop there, and ourselves as your servants for uh. Jesus' sake, Right? So they behold Christ in the preached word. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And they behold Christ as that preached word is lived out in the life of the pastor. And I think sometimes our tendency is to stop with the preached word and neglect how that word is enfleshed in our lives. Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think that that verse is really helpful because it's redefining usefulness. Um, it's moving it away from competence to character. Uh, what does it mean to be useful in the master's hand? And you know that's that's uh, something I think we need to think about. But I, I have a question. Um, uh, given all that you said, um, how does that affect the way um, you raise up elders? Just very practically, your approach to raising up elders or training young men for ministry, um, given all that you said. So how does that flesh out practically? And just also as you answer that, Aaron, think also as well about how you'd apply that to more men in ministry in other ways as well. Well, it definitely, because I'm preaching, recognizing my own deficiencies, I assume deficiencies in others. So I hope that there's a spirit of grace at our church where we recognize that you're not going to be the perfect elder. So my emphasis is less on you demonstrating your perfection as a proto-elder or as a brother around me. But if you never are able to articulate where you're falling short, that's where I'm concerned because I know you're falling short. And so I think that you know one great... Uh, the, the, the great guard is a kind of transparency. Um, you know, I know of churches that I think have run in a legalistic direction where a brother falls short and he's done. He's cut off. And I think every congregation and elder body needs to make its own decisions about when does a sin rise to the level of disqualified for ministry. And some are more obvious than others. Um, I want to embrace holiness in prospective elders, but really target 
this idea of transparency and the idea that where these brothers think they're falling short may not actually be the main area they're falling short. So I think it provides maybe some texture to our assessment of elder candidates. Uh, do you encounter men who fall on the opposite end of the spectrum where they see they're falling short, they take grace for granted, they don't want to do anything about it? I can't think of any. I'm sure there are men like that in our congregation. I can't think of any who make sort of our whiteboard of like thinking about, uh, we, we, we use uh, the Jensen blokes worth watching. I mean, it, those guys, I think, I, I just, we see good. And um, I don't see a lot of that in them. Eugene. Yeah, maybe just a follow-up question to that. Uh, you know, among your elder team, how do you encourage that kind of transparency and that ongoing watchfulness over one another? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm leading a team as well. I'm wondering, how, how do I do that in a way that doesn't just focus on the tasks that we have to do? Because sometimes, sometimes I, I struggle with our meetings becoming a bit too focused on the business of the church and maybe not enough on how we're actually doing as, as Christian brothers. So, so I'd love to hear your thoughts about what, what are some things that you do to help that. Well, I, I'm so thankful in God's kindness that Chad is here because uh, he really leads out in that. He creates our elders' agenda. And so he carves out time occasionally for us to check in with one another. Right now, he's carving out time for us to share how we're doing evangelistically. So the question that we're going around right now isn't, you know, how are you doing with regard to sexual purity? It's what are the evangelistic relationships in your life? I do think that's one aspect of our character. Do we love the Lord so deeply that we're actively seeking to bring others to know the Lord? And, um, but it, it takes a disciplined leader like Chad, to get us talking about, about that. But I think what's ideal is not so much what happens when we're all together in the room. What's ideal is what kind of culture does your church have when people are together, including elders one-on-one, -on -one, are you talking about the Lord? Are you talking about his work in your life? And I found that one of the hardest things for every Christian to do is just be a Christian when it's not Sunday. And as elders, we're trying to live that out on a day-to-day -day basis. Just asking practically how, just in the preaching, in the praying, um, encouraging people to have these types of conversations. It's more organic than it is organized. Even as you say that, I think probably one of the temptations in this room is for us to get our identity, our significance, our worth, and our ministry. And in the title or the function that we carry out week to week, you write in your book, Character Matters, Sanctification requires resting. When we abide in Christ, we trust in who he is and what he has done. We come to him each day with confidence that on the cross, he took our sin upon himself, paid our penalty with his own blood, and bore the wrath of God we deserve. He becomes everything to us. As we rest, God works in us. How, uh, how do you help us think and grow in resting in the finished work of Christ? I'm going to answer very quickly, and I would love to hear what these brothers think, think about that. Um, I think there's no silver bullet to resting. It really is a kind of self-discipline to stop and meditate on what the Lord has done. You know, to, to, so that's what, like that Friday afternoon exercise, that's me resting. Because my temptation in that moment is to hope that this is a really good sermon. And um, at that moment, I want to I kill... I want it to be a good sermon. Like, I don't want to do a bad sermon. But I want to kill that by just reveling in Jesus. 
and trusting that if I shouldn't be in ministry, men like Chad will tell me, like, brother, we love you, but we think you're not clear enough on the gospel. We think you're not Christ-centered enough. You know, that they'll, they'll help show me the door. But in the absence of that, I'm going to try to think less about how good I'm doing, and I'm going to take a deep... I mean, it's like, it's like telling someone, how do you fall asleep? Like, people... Like, my superpower is sleeping. I love falling asleep, and I can do so naturally. Um, I don't know how to tell somebody to fall asleep. You know, how do you, how do you rest in the gospel? I mean, it is a work of the Spirit of God. So if you're not resting in the gospel, I would say pray that the Spirit would be working you in that way. Any counsel on that? Or, as people heard that talk, I assume with our different consciences it will have struck us differently. Some may be very discouraged. Some may have felt the weight. Some may be aren't as affected. How do you think through, you know, we are unworthy. Christ is worthy. How do we hold that together um, and rest in the gospel? Yeah, I think this is where gospel-centered preaching is so valuable. I mean, not, not just for those who hear us, but like, like you rightly said, to preach to ourselves. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have a team of elders who understand that, a staff team that understands that. I think I, one of the things we started doing this year is before we preach the sermon on Sunday, uh, we gather as a staff and just talk through the applications from the passage. I, mean, I found that to be just a really helpful reminder to me of the gospel that's in the passage and just to hear encouragements from the staff. I think that keeps the passage just real to me as well. I'm not just doing this as a job, but, but these are real truths that I need to hear for myself. I'm grateful for a staff team that you know, reminds me of that. I think for, for me, one thing to constantly remember is, uh, um, Aaron mentioned this, a, a kind of law-based approach to sanctification and growth is doomed to end in failure, right? And that could mean anything. That could mean some arbitrary standard that I've set up in my own mind for what I want to achieve uh, or, you know, living for someone's approval or uh, the ghost of someone in my mind that says, <laughs> this, is, this is the standard and I need to get there. Um, and I have to recognize first that God has declared us, declared me righteous in Christ. Right? And that forensic declaration then becomes the basis by which I can pursue godliness by grace, not by law. What do you brothers do when you're not doing well spiritually? What are practical things that you do when you're not doing well spiritually? Or patterns that you have in place? Call Anand Samuel. <laughs> Anand, who do you call? <laughs> Well, I, I, I speak to my wife. Uh, I speak to one of my elders, Samson, who's uh, very involved in my life. Um, I go to him for counsel quite often. And uh, there are brothers at other churches that I will speak to, um, elders from ECCD. Yeah. Aaron, Eugene? Uh, I think for me, similar as well. Uh, talking to my wife, uh, talking to some of the other elders in the church, yeah, as well as I, I, you know, having pastoral friendships with pastors of other churches, that, that's really valuable too. And, and I think as, as my sons grow older, so I have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old, uh, 
I think confessing sin to them, I think that, that's helpful as well, especially when I sin against them. I do, I do think that's helpful in, in reminding me of grace again. Yeah, maybe talk about cultivating friendships and how that's helping you in ministry and uh, what that should look like uh, for us that are in ministry. Well, I want to quickly say that I don't know if you remember, but was it 10 years ago? A number of years ago, we were on a regular Zoom call, you, me, and maybe a couple other pastors. And I was going through a particularly hard season. And I think for some reasons, maybe the maturity of my elder body or my, I, I don't know, for various reasons, I really leaned into you. And I was grateful for friendships that God created um, that brought into my life. And we pursued that friendship um, outside of our, our own church. And that's been very meaningful to me. And I think that's what's a value about this time together. I'll talk a little bit about this on Saturday. But there is a sweet thing. I mean, we tend to be friends with people who think a lot like us. And that's just a historical, sociological reality. And it's good to have people who think unlike you in different ways. But generally speaking, to be in a room of Christians, to be in a room of, of pastors, to be in a room of people with a burden for the global church, that makes the uh, possibility of friendship increase mightily. Um, but I just want to add, I talk to my wife and I talk to Chad when I'm struggling spiritually. Uh, I would commend this book. Maybe some of you know it. David Gibson, Living Life Backwards. It's on Ecclesiastes. It's been a real encouragement to me. Um, he writes this, life is limited by death. Your life won't go on forever, but death is not just a line you cross when your time is up. Death is an evangelist. He looks us in the eye and asks us to look him right back with a steady gaze and allow him to do his work in us. If we are wise, we will listen to and not avoid death. How does death help us to grow in holiness? How does keeping that in the forefront of our mind, if death is a better teacher to us uh, than even our own births, how does death help us as men in ministry. I think for me personally, it, it helps me pursue holiness, that discipline of grace that Titus talks about. You know, grace has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And nothing can give you um, quite the wake-up call like, attending a funeral or hearing about someone's loved one pass away. Um, it's a reminder of your mortality. Uh, it's a reminder that you have one life, the time is short. Um, it's a reminder that Christ is coming back. Um, it helps us fix our eyes on our eternal hope. And uh, in light of that, as all the New Testament passages point us to, the end is coming and therefore pursue ordinary holiness, like hospitality, as Peter talks about. So um, the end actually helps me um, pursue righteousness in the present. And that's a really gracious reminder to me. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, so the church uh, that I'm a pastor at is, is, has quite a large range of ages, so from teenagers all the way up to members in their 90s. Uh, I think one thing I appreciate of being a pastor of a multi-generational church is just to see many examples of godliness and suffering. 
uh, especially from the older members who have health issues uh, and, and other difficulties in their lives as well. I think that's a reminder to me, not just death, but, but the weakness that attends you know, the, the later years of life. I think that, that's a reminder to me to be humble and, and to prepare myself for the, the day when I'll be physically weak like that as well. And, and just to prepare my heart for, for that kind of suffering and, and, stood to, and, and not willing to respond in the way that I see them respond. So that, that's been an encouragement to me just to think about that sort of suffering at the, at the end of life. Um, I don't know why it is. I, I think about dying a lot. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I think that's been healthy for my soul. Uh, we all have less time than we think we have. And we will stand before the Lord. And I think the proximity of that scrutiny before his all-seeing eyes is a good thing to have on the forefront of our minds more. Amen. So many um, encouraging and high points in your talk. I think one of the highest was that you knew about LeBron James and Kareem Abdul, this is a joke. But I did note that you had to read Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's name. No. Yes, no, you no, did. No. You looked down. But you Ab- weren't sure Abdul- if you knew. Abdul-Jabbar wasn't in my notes, just Kareem. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, that's impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. Thank you. I don't say that to feed your pride, but I do say that to ask about pride. I think pride. Um, <laughs> I really didn't know how much you followed sports. or the You followed uh, the NBA. NBA. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, we won't get into the Michael LeBron uh, debate. Don't need to. Good. When we think about pride, I think one of the ways that pride very easily rears its head in ministry is comparison. Uh, whether it's wanting that person's situation or you know, fighting jealousy in some way or not thinking the Lord's been good to you, how do we fight pride? Um, you, you wrote in your book, Pride Cares More About the Leader's Significance than the congregation's sanctification. Pride cares more about the leader's significance than those you're evangelizing. Pride cares more about your significance. Brothers, just ways that you're fighting pride, ways that you've seen the Lord work in your life in these ways, we want to defeat our pride. I mean, at at my church, you know, Joe Davidson, I mean, she she doesn't really care that I'm, I'm here right now speaking to pastors. I mean, the people in my church, they, they value me because I'm their pastor and, and with the other elders. And I, I, just, I try to remember that. Like, fundamentally, I'm called to shepherd these people. It's a finite number of people. Other people may have more people in their congregation than I do, but these are the people that God's entrusted to my care with Chad and the other elders. And that's a humbling thing. And as I... Obviously, the best answer is stay focused on Christ. But in another sense, by just staying focused on the church that God's led me to serve, that's wonderfully uh, humbling in just a beautiful way. Um, I think my wife, my elders, are great tools of God in my life to keep me from growing proud. And I am deeply thankful for their presence uh, in those ways. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would say the same thing. Um, marry a godly woman, that'll fix it. Um, you know, my wife is my uh, biggest encourager, but she's not impressed with me at all. Um, 
and I, and, I, and I think if you just have a normal congregation, right, um, <laughs> especially if you're the senior pastor, you know, you'll have things said about you and thrown at you, and, and you'll have, that'll... But they see you know, the best of you and they see and the worst see of you. Like, they know you that's really true. well. Yeah, yeah. So they, they know all my strengths and weaknesses, and uh, yeah, they're, they're not afraid to point those out to me and, and encourage me at the same and, time. And the blessing of that, of course, is what Paul says, they may see your progress. That's right. I mean, they're watching you grow in your preaching, your mm-hmm. ministry, but God willing, they're watching you grow in your holiness that's right. before their very eyes as well. Yeah. yeah. Just imp- the importance of all of us being very rooted in the church, rubbing shoulders with God's people, them seeing us, us seeing them, the ordinariness of that and what mm-hmm. it can produce in our lives. Eugene and then I'll get over Yeah, just, just to add to that, uh, parenting is very humbling. You know, I, I thought I had things figured out when my kids were young, but I realized I don't. <laughs> so every, every year, every season, I, I think it's very humbling for me and my wife. Uh, and, and then having a, a team of elders to serve alongside. So, so I, I, I don't chair the meetings. Uh, I don't beat out on a lot of things, but having other guys do it, I think that helps as well. To not, to not be in the front seat all the time, but, but to sometimes take a back seat and just have other guys lead out in some meetings, lead out on some items. I think that's been humbling and, and very useful for me. I, I have a question. Um, in light of Adam's talk and the question you just asked, Josh, if I may, um, so many passages that you cited, Aaron, where Paul commends his own example, right, and says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow after the example you have seen in me. And... That's not something that I see in our ministries much. I think we're very, very hesitant to say to people, follow my example and commend our own example the way Paul did. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get around that by saying, well, Paul was an apostle, I'm not. But the standards are the same for personal holiness. Um, those passages apply to us. And so I've wondered why that hesitation in our circles, among pastors in general, to commend our own example the way that Paul did. To verbally, to verbally commend it? Yeah, to verbally even say, verbally say to people, yeah. I don't, um, I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, I don't know. If, maybe I'm mistaken in that observation, and maybe lots of pastors commend their own example the way Paul did, but I, I don't think so. I, I think there's a... There's a great slowness to do that. Think, but look at the frequency with I, I, Paul. I think pr- probably it feels it can feel prideful, but of course it's not. If you're standing up and you're leading in this way, you, that goes with the territory. And I think the way that you address the comprehensiveness of our godliness, the weightiness, all of that should be uh, up to snuff uh, in in the ministry. Yeah, I'm certainly aware that people. I mean, one of the reasons why I probably don't talk about it, and I. I really mean I don't know because I want to think about that. But I am aware, whether I talk about it or not, that people are going to follow my example. Luke 6.40 says the disciple will become like his teacher. So I know that's going to happen because that's how God designed it. But why I don't more often put myself up as an example, the way maybe it is because I do feel like I do feel some distance between Paul the apostle and me the elder. Are there any signs that tell us we're burnt out? We're burnt out. Do 
talking about spiritually or physically? Uh, I'm talking about spiritually. If you, yeah, that uh, that we should be aware of. I, I primarily locate it in disordered affections. Um, I mean, thinking about Edwards and you know, affections being kind of, you have to do what you love, right? And we're doing this because we love it. And when I'm, when we're in seasons where we're just grinding through it, you know, I don't love this, but I'm going to, mm-hmm. I just have to keep it up. All right. You know, Quick that. counsel then on when in your own life there's persistent ungodliness, when should that lead you to step down from a ministry position? Any counsel on that? If, if you're privileged to have elders, when a body of elders, when, when, if you're being forthright with the elders about your struggles, and they're looking at the qualifications which are objective, and they're saying, um, <clears throat> not only have you not met them, which is enough to say you need to step down, but sometimes things can be a little bit gray. Uh, when they understand that it's going to take months or years for you to get to a place where you can sort of with full throttled obedience meet these qualifications, that's got to be time to, to step down. It may be immediately. I'm not, I'm not trying to give wiggle room for like you don't meet them, but it can be years. But if there's no, so not knowing the exact situation, if there's no pathway towards above reproach restoration, you know, then it's time to move, move on. You said look at the cross, which was a glorious way, obviously, to end uh, that talk. Other encouragements to those that might be struggling here? Discouraged? Struggling spiritually? I would say use this time as a little spiritual retreat. I know it's uh, uh, kind of a conference, but use it as a spiritual retreat. This is a unique opportunity. Most of you away from your, your natural setting, uh, surrounded by some maybe some old friends, but uh, you just have really good conversations. You know, take advantage of this particular time together. Anything else? I think, I think days off uh, can't be overemphasized. So taking a day off, uh, I think that helps with burnout as well. Uh, I think just cultivating good friendships. I think that you know, maybe asking for prayer more than we pray for people as well. <laughs> Being willing to ask for prayer. I think that, that for me is, is really important. Learning how to ask for prayer being specific, being honest, I think that's helpful for me. That's the word on burnout, too. It thinks about, I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's a word in Greek for burnout, but, um, but I think it's real. Physically, there might be physical problems, and those physical problems may be related to uh, spiritual depression. So being alert for spiritual problems. Um, not being able to rest. If you, if you can never go home and turn it off, and I know at some level you can't turn it off, but you know what I mean. If you just you can't ever rest, and that's that's a problem. Um, if you're if you're married and your relationship with your wife is just not good, and in part because you don't have the energy to make it better. I know it's all of grace, but I think that could be evidence. And then I just want to aff- just really affirm um, what Aubrey's point. Like if you can never go to the gathering and simply worship the Lord in spirit and in the truth as a Christian, but you're always concerned about the lighting or the sound or how many people are there. I mean, that's a good sign um, that 
that you're, you're burned out and something needs to change. And I so appreciated your exhortation that we are just first and foremost Christians and sheep. Um, and we're yeah. not, our titles and our functions, whatever, we're Christians and sheep who need the word yeah. and need to be gathered as well.